0: people end up in their leadership roles with zero training they were great doing some job and so they got transferred out of the thing they know so well into a job they don't know how to do and they're just left to sink or swim
1: are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions. If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to whoever is listening. You know, I say it all the time because I send love to you. And I want you to have a great day. Thank you so much, so much for tuning in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, where each week we have a guest who is just brilliant in their work come and share with you from a conversational point of view who we are, what we're doing, and why. You know, this thing called work, this thing called leadership, this thing called having an inclusive workplace sometimes seems like a very difficult thing to do. Well, I'm going to ask each of you to sit back for a minute and think about this. We've been kind of locked away for about two years now, and it doesn't look like a lot of things are going to change, and many of us are still there. Tempers are short. There isn't a day that doesn't go by that we don't see on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or something where somebody just loses it. And we're all standing back horrified that it happened. But how do we know what started it? Because we're only seeing one little small segment of what's going on. Today, Louise Carnahan and I are going to have a conversation. Her new book called Work Jerks how to cope with difficult bosses and colleagues or bullying in the workplace. It's going to help us do a bit of a deep dive, a peel back on what gets us to the point where we just don't seem to be able to get along anymore. And what used to be we could iron out so many things and keep it at a civil level just doesn't seem to work anymore. And also we're going to end the call with What can you do about it? And how do you know when the escalation is happening so that you can intervene early enough to kind of prevent things from escalating and going over the top? So that's today's challenge. But before we do that, let me introduce you to Louise. Hmm, She says, if people had behaved well at work, I would never have had a career. And you know, we're going to do a deep dive on that quote. But Louise is the author, as I mentioned before, of Work Jerks, How to Cope with Difficult Bosses and Colleagues. And it is an interpersonal work relationship book. And her 40 years of experience offers practical help to untangle problematic work dynamics. In other words, those relationships that, you know, we used to be okay with, but somehow we've gotten, we don't just, we don't know how to deal with them anymore. And as more diversity, and I'm not just talking about from race, but gender, but ethnicity, geography, come into the workplace, we're less and less comfortable working with people who are not like us. And so how do we get over some of our own uncomfortableness and not let it escalate into something that just destroys the relationship and negatively impacts the workplace? For over 40 years, Louise has worked as a trainer and organizational development consultant helping thousands of leaders and staff members achieve interpersonal success with challenging work relationships. Having spent half of her career as an employee, Louise knows firsthand the complexities of navigating lousy situations while keeping the job and continuing to be a valued team member. She has worked in a diverse and variety of industries from manufacturing and education, healthcare, and scientific organization. And as a consultant, she's worked in small companies, Head Start programs at universities and healthcare organizations, as well as some familiar brands, such as Boeing, McDonald's, and Starbucks. Currently, she is semi-retired, but still has a book of leadership clients and pens a workplace advice blog on her website. She lives in the suburbs of Portland and enjoys Powell's books, coastal beach towns, and her local library, where she can often be found, browsing the mystery section. (laughs) Oh, so with that, Louise, how are you? Well, Denise, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me with you today. This topic just seems to be something that we don't get a good handle on you know, workplace bullying and bosses being difficult or colleagues being difficult, which just don't seem to get onto this. And, you know, your quote, if people had behaved well, (laughs) you never would have had a career. There's a story behind that. So tell us a little bit about you and that story. Well, (laughs) I feel
0: like that's my story right there, because I trained as a therapist and then took a left turn right out of the School of Social Work. I had a master's degree, ready to go as a behavioral therapist. And then my first job was working with teams. And I'll tell you, I discovered that I love the workplace. That's what really rang my bells. So at the point that I could have made a career shift back into clinical work, I didn't do it. Mm. And, you know, I find people are endlessly fascinating. (laughs) There's, there is, there's no ever perfecting it, you know, nobody's going to become perfect at it. Mm -hmm. And I'm always learning. So it's been a great career to kind of dive into people's stories. And I love stories. That's the other thing. Mm -hmm. So it's been a wonderful ride and I'm continuing to learn. And the pandemic, as you mentioned, has created a whole new set of issues when we're not face to face. Yeah. You know, so a lot of the problems that were going on before are still happening. And some of them have gotten worse. Yeah. A few of them have gotten better. There's a mute button. You mm. know, <laughs> mm. people can self-censor if they yeah. choose to, yeah. but some don't. Yeah. So it's been an interesting ride and to see how it's all evolved over these past couple of years mm-hmm. with some
1: real differences and stressors that weren't there before. Yeah. This is a difficult conversation. I mean when I was in HR, the toughest conversation were these these difficult boss personality clashes is what we used to talk about and there was a time when, you know, culture really wasn't as prominent as it is now. And so people could be Prickly, and we just had to learn to live with it. But it seems like our tolerance for that is kind of lower. In your opinion, as you've been doing this for a while, what's changed? Well, generations have
0: changed. You know, so we can start with that. And as you say, culture evolves over time. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you know to to come back to what's going on now is every culture, workplace culture, has had a shakeup. Mm-hmm in some way or another, and it's difficult to navigate when you're not sure what the rules are anymore. Yeah. Right. And as the workplace has become more global, we're dealing with cultures that are all over the world, and we don't all agree to what the norms are for communication or behavior. So when you go harken back to the days of, yeah, a prickly boss, everyone just kind of lived with it, you know, because it's hard to fire the boss. It's still hard to fire the boss. (laughs) And there are still some prickly bosses out there. But I think a key here is this idea that it's all personality. Because once we call it personality, then it's like, well, but we can't do anything about that, right? right?
1: It's funny because many HR people are stymied with that, right? It's just that person's personality. But what we really measure is results. And so they get caught in not being able to quantify or say this is unacceptable when a person's personality or behavior, and I like the word behavior more than personality, because that's the end result of our personality, right? That's how other people read us. That's how they see us. I don't judge you on what you think. Your intention is invisible. But what I do judge is your behavior and how it made me feel out of it. So NHR has a hard time quantifying that and writing it up and then even teaching people and talking to people, particularly if they're in a quote unquote leadership space about how the impact of their behavior is actually causing other people to decrease their ability to perform. You are
0: so right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are just so right about that. And, you know, we're all the hero of our own stories. Mm-hmm. So for the person who is behaving egregiously to others, they have some justification for what they're doing. Yeah. You know, they think that they're right. I mean, a few people know that they step in it and go, oh, I shouldn't have been like that. But it's rare to understand how big your impact is with others, which is a degree of emotional intelligence, right? Is Mm -hmm. reading your impact with others. Mm -hmm. And I think what makes it so hard to talk about is that most people weren't trained as a behavior therapist, like I was, <laughs> you know, to really dig into what's the behavior? Yeah, What is it that you see or hear? And I include in that tone of voice, yep. body posture, yep. what's on the face. Yep. A lot of us are completely disconnected for how from how we're coming across that way. Mm-hmm. And I can give you an example of a boss that I was called in to work with who... Had explosive tantrums. Basically, Mm -hmm. he he would just go off the deep end. And his intention was not that we had a problem. In that, in his estimation, what he was doing was normal from the culture he came from, right? Which was a very effusive, you know, family where people just spouted off. The problem was he was physically large, Mm -hmm. so start with that. And he was working in an industry where a lot of the workers were women, and Mm -hmm. they were small women. Mm -hmm. And physically, he was intimidating Mm -hmm. on top of the words and the tone. Mm -hmm. So when I got a hold of him, and he was about ready to lose his job. So this often is the golden moment, right, right, is no, this is really serious. Now, this isn't a matter of, yeah, you're offending people. This is, you're going to lose this job. So, are you willing to do something different? And I have to say, a lot of places will just get rid of you. Yeah. Yeah. They won't take the time to try and coach somebody through. Mm -hmm. Well, I put him on video. I thought he has no connection, no self awareness. Yeah. He doesn't know how he's coming across. And, you know, one of my not so guarded secrets is that I have been an actor and I have done improvisational theater. So I can play an annoying employee really well. (laughs) And, you know, most people say, yeah, but if you're role playing, people don't behave like they normally do. Believe me, I can help push somebody over the edge. (laughs) So I pushed them over the edge. I got it on video we watched it. He was shocked to see himself. He was shocked. And so I said, okay, let's dissect what happened here. So we have these moments where we can parse out what could be done differently. And it started with not only the awareness of his behavior, but what was happening with him. Mm -hmm. Because most people do have some physical cue Mm -hmm. that things are about ready to go overboard. Mm-hmm. You know, they get flushed or their heart starts to race. Some people feel like they kind of leave their body. You yeah. Know, they're floating over their head. Yeah. The sweaty palms. We get lots of cues that something's going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's whether we pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. So once somebody can read their cues, mm-hmm. they know what they are, then they have a fighting chance of intervening. Yeah. Before it gets out of hand, right? Exactly. And either end the conversation, take a few deep breaths, whatever they need to do to stop. Because at that point, they got adrenaline going, right? Yep. And really, I mean, adrenaline works really well for large motor movement, but you don't really want to be hitting people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one way of
1: exploding. Or you know? even and, tapping it in your body, right? Because right. It, it shows up, even if you yeah. think you're not showing it, right? I mean, it emits
0: an energy. It does. And to stop that process requires a couple of things, really. And deep breaths are the one that's available to most of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because to go for a run that minute probably isn't going to happen. Right. You know, it is the large muscle movement that will disappear. But at work, most of us can't go do that. So we're stuck then with read the cue. And do something to get back up into your cerebral cortex where you Mm -hmm. have a chance of making a decent decision.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And where you can stop. Mm -hmm. You can stop yourself or remove yourself or do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So we practiced over and over and over. And I videotaped each and every one. He still went over the edge a number of times. And then it started to click.
1: Yeah. And then
0: he was able to make some changes. But it was it was a long, tough process. And that's with coaching, very intense coaching. So if somebody is just told you're acting like a jerk, they don't know what it means. They don't know what to do. Yeah. They're kind of clueless. So that's not a very effective way of intervening as an HR professional or the boss of somebody yeah. who's
1: behaving badly. Yeah. 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 You know, the other thing I noticed that is oftentimes the boss of the person who is acting out rarely knows. Now, everybody thinks they know, but the truth is they don't because when they see them, they're calm and they somehow manage to be okay with their boss's boss or their boss or their boss's peer or something like that but it's only with their colleagues and people who work below them or for them that they somehow can't manage to hold it all together. How does that happen?
0: Well, there's some people who are great at managing up, right? (laughs) (laughs) They put on a whole different set of behaviors when they're dealing with their boss. And yeah, this is a tough one because, of course, it's very hard to fire your boss.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I really don't recommend you try doing it (laughs) because it usually doesn't come back to work well for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even an entire department that's trying to fire a boss, the ramifications of that are really hard. They're hard Mm -hmm. on that group too, Mm -hmm, even if mm -hmm. they succeed, Mm -hmm. but for a moment, let's just say you feel individually picked on and you try and give feedback about that to their boss. You know, everybody reports to somebody, as they say, you should be able to go to the boss's boss, what I call a skip level manager. It may or may not do you any good. And the reason why is what that boss is evaluating your malefactor on may be completely different and have nothing to do with how they treat their people, which of course makes me sad. But They may be producing, and this is where you run into some really big problems with the high producers. Yeah. So you get top salespeople who are a misery to work around, but they're bringing in money. And I mean to say these are only examples, and they have nothing to do with classes of, of jobs, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, because I'm not talking about everybody who's a high producer is like that. But I've seen it. And there have been, of course, things that end up in the newspaper. Right, right about people who behave really badly. Yep, yep. It's made very public. It's yep. not, not that people didn't know. They knew and they chose to ignore because there was a great case that happened in Seattle where the surgeon was bringing in so much money mm-hmm. and they knew. They knew what the problem was. So, you know, it happens. It's yeah, the same in the sports.
1: When we hear this stuff in sports, When we hear this in the, you know, one of the toughest industries around is the entertainment industry, because it's, you know, if you're making money for everybody, they bow down and allow you to have these peculiar ways that really are offensive and oftentimes egregious to other individuals and create exclusions and who's in and who's not and those kinds of things. And in some situations, you know, regardless of what the industry is, as you've said, it can be dangerous. It can be
0: extremely dangerous. And, you know, let's not forget, I mean, your example of entertainment industry is perfect. Let's not forget where the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. came up. It's not the first time it's been around, but, you know, it was out of just hideous, harassing, assaulting Mm -hmm. behavior. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we look at a spectrum, usually you don't have that much assault going Mm -hmm. on at Mm -hmm. work, usually. Mm -hmm. But you can have people who are behaving outside the norm. And it's not that everybody has to march to exactly the same tune. There's room for people to express differences of personality. And there are people
1: you might not like. It happens. Mm -hmm. you You know, that's an interesting point, because I think sometimes there's a fine line between somebody who's just difficult or sets high standards versus somebody who is a bully. If that makes sense. Yeah. Can you help us peel that back? I mean, when do we know that what we have is just really a difficult, maybe a high standards and someone who maybe their communication isn't so clear, or maybe they're in a turnaround situation of a company where they really do have to set tougher standards, but it can feel like bullying to other people, or it's certainly, you know, more than difficult. How do we know the difference? Yeah, that
0: is such a great question, Denise. So this happens fairly frequently when you've had somebody in a management position for many, many years and they leave, someone new comes in, they have different expectations and they're kind of horrified by what they find. And then they start giving critical feedback, Mm -hmm. right? So for the the beleaguered staff member who has been satisfying their previous management's expectation, And maybe even getting, you know, exemplary performance reviews. And now they're not. And, you know, it starts to feel like I'm being attacked. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I'm being singled out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've worked with a lot of leaders who come into these situations. And the whole thing is around communication. It's like, well, here's the deal. You have different standards. You can't think that they're going to guess what they are. Yeah. You have to be crystal clear. And you have to help train people up,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? They've been kind of left to languish. Mm-hmm. So help bring them along. The sad thing is when you have people who can't kind of make it to the yeah. next level. And this happens even when you have the same management over time. We can look at technology when it drives expectations of what people can do to a point where the person was hired for a totally different job. And now, they're in this position where they just can't succeed. And unfortunately, it tends to happen to people who are in the later stages of their career.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And that's a lousy place for everybody to be. Mm-hmm. I write about an example of that in the book about, you know, a woman who had been doing just fine until the technology went beyond her. And no matter how much training she was given, she couldn't she couldn't get it. It was a different job requiring different skills. Mm-hmm. In that particular case, it worked out to do
1: a reassignment. That doesn't always work. Right. That's the interesting piece, because I, I do coach, and I'm sure you have coached many executives who, you know, now we're talking big data, and you've got to be able to analyze big data. And they've been always successful kind of shooting from the hip. And sometimes they were right, and sometimes, you know, the data suggests things are changing. And because their gut hasn't caught up with what the data is saying, they're behind the A ball and their expectations or the expectations on them is, is that they begin to justify not with the shooting of the hip, but really, you know, here's the data. Tell us from the data, how you got where you're at. And that is, you have to work on that. You have to get into it, you know, and you have to stay on top of what's going on and what does that mean? It's true. And then the people who have to leave these positions
0: are used to a standard of living. Yeah. They may not get again. Yeah. So the consequences are difficult, very Mm -hmm. difficult in not Mm -hmm. being able to to stay up to speed. Mm -hmm. And yet that's part of the gig. Mm
2: -hmm. None
0: of us get to cruise through our careers without having to keep learning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Have you shifting it to I've got difficult colleagues. Oh, yeah. Um, Who, for whatever reason, you know, I've been in setups where I've had to coach somebody who, you know, they've got a not a boss who wants to be liked by everyone. And so they don't tell the hard truths about certain things. And the new kid on the block who comes in with a different set of standards, maybe a different performance level, winds up pushing the envelope with the group and the group turns on them. How could that person seeing and maybe even knowing, I mean, if we set them up right and say, look, this is a group who, you know, they've been doing it one way for a very long time. You're not in a position to, you're a peer. So you don't have power over them. You're going to have to figure out how to collaborate and have power with them. What are some tips that you can give that person? Yeah, if it's a performance
0: issue, it's almost easier if they're just not pulling their weight the way Mm -hmm. you think they ought to, Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm coaching people who are in that position, it's kind of like, well, aren't you glad you're not their boss?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, (laughs) Because you really don't have control here. You could go complain. And if the lack of performance is affecting you and your position and what you're doing, I would say you are absolutely justified in going to your boss and saying, here's the ramification of this not happening That's why I can't get this part done for you because this isn't happening for me. And then you're not going to hear anything from your boss Mm -hmm. because your boss, if they're doing their job right, isn't going to tell you that they're coaching your peer. Yeah,
1: that right there is a painful. You mean I'm not going to know what I'm not going to get to see it? You know, I don't know what they're doing. Nothing's changing. Like,
0: Yeah. yeah. And you don't know. And you don't know whether they ever th- have the conversation. The manager that you just talked about, the one who wants to be liked yeah. by everyone, the conflict averse. Yeah. They never probably never got any kind of help on how to give feedback. Mm. Right. So many people end up in their leadership roles with zero training. They were great doing some job. And so they got transferred out of the thing they know so well into a job they don't know how to do. Yeah. And they're just left to sink or swim. Yeah. So, you know, I was fortunate to work in organizations that actually valued giving people help mm-hmm. so that they could learn how to do this. And You know, most people don't have good models about how to give critical feedback. I don't know about you, but my family wasn't very nice about it. It was pretty awful. And so we don't know what models people come in with. I mean, I had to learn. My family's modeling was writing notes and putting them under the door. Can you imagine? I really had to learn how to deal with feedback and how to deal with conflict at all. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not alone. There are other people out there who haven't got a clue. Well, I don't need to keep puncturing that. But yeah, that's it. We need to help them learn how to give feedback and become more confident at mm-hmm. it because they haven't had a chance. And if they haven't done it well, or it's they've tried and it's gone badly, and now they're really reluctant. Mm-hmm. To talk with somebody—that's mm-hmm. so hard. Now we're really having to walk back through some traumatic stuff for them to get them ready to try again. With you know, letting them know it's no fair to the person who isn't able to perform if you've never told them. Yeah,
1: or even because you know, in my my role, a lot of times people will say, "Oh, I told them," and boy, I was brutal. I just laid it out on them, and then I go back and say, "Hey, Louise." that conversation go oh fine fine <laughs> well what did you walk away thinking you needed to do oh you know what I just need to talk to him a little bit more and then everything will be good and I just keep going and I'm like were they in the same conversation <laughs> am I dreaming that this happened and I think it's back to you know your earlier point there's what feels hard for us to make in a conversation. We think that we're being overly directive or, you know, tough with a person because we have this, I'm a really nice kind of person. Then the other person doesn't hear it because you're not clear, because you're focused on not hurting someone's feelings, not, you know, figuring it out. And a lot of times they just don't even think about or have anybody that they can talk to about what it is that's bothering them. Because understanding the difference between, you know, you didn't make a meeting. And when you were in the meeting, you sat and looked like, you know, Attila the Hun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> two different things. Or when somebody asked a question, you looked at them like you had dagger eyes out of it. Those are two different things. And I think it's very difficult for people to try and figure out how do you have those calls? I think the other thing that's happened is, is at least in my history is, you know, there was a time when we had companies really invested in this idea of creating a culture and leadership development and how that showed up. We don't have that anymore. Companies are running pretty lean. They may have a tuition reimbursement budget, but reading a book and riding a bike, two different things, right? Yep. That's right.
0: And without investing in your leaders, you run the risk of just a lot of turnover. Some people are natural leaders. They just are. You've probably met them. I have. They just have that intuitive sense. And who knows, they were raised well. They just happen to have good emotional intelligence. They're socially adept that they get. How do you treat people? How do you give people what they need, the tools to do their jobs, which includes training and feedback, otherwise yeah. they can't do their jobs well. They just know how to do it. They see systems, they understand all that. Most people don't. Yeah. And so when we leave them to just kind of fly by the seat of their pants, unless they happen to have a good boss that they're modeling after, you know, I say people are either a threat or a model in terms of how they, they lead. And plenty of people have had threats. I don't want to be that. But I'm not exactly sure what I want to be. Yeah, or how to be. Yeah, and how to do it. How do I do it? So when I'm coaching new leaders, I'll often ask them about that very thing. Have you had a leader that you really respected? Mm-hmm. Sadly, very few have. Yep. But then I'll ask, are there others that you know about? Because you don't have to have had them specifically, but who are the ones that you have known? Right. Or if it gets down to a specific, like giving feedback, I might say, who has been the person that you thought did the best job of giving feedback? Right. What was it that they did? You know, Because if they've been able to analyze it well enough, then they have something to work with. If, right. It's interesting,
1: yeah, because uh, on my side, what I find most often is that leaders get exacerbated, and, and I want to talk about, you know, before we got on the call, we got on this conversation about resilience in particular, but a lot of it is is they simply don't know how to set a vision, delegate effectively, let alone follow up and ensure follow-through. That when I talk to leaders, those are the four things. I don't care whether you're a supervisor or you're the CEO those are the four buckets of work that you have to do. You might have to do it differently. The horizon and span of control may be different, but it's basically, you got to tell people where we're headed and what it looks like when we get there. You've got to be able to delegate, understand the impact on time, money, and attention. So that's capacity in an organization to be able to do something. You've got to have a system where you can follow up, and then you've got to be able to follow through without looking like a micromanager or an ogre, right? That's right. I think that because we're so flat and that skill has not been taught in general, because where do you learn that? You learn it on the job. So if you're in a company that doesn't have a good system to do that, you're going to do that badly. So if I'm not meeting my goals, my pe- I can't communicate well what the vision ought to be. And now I'm remote where I have even less opportunity to kind of nurture them and they get, you know, those small conversations that keep your team aligned. Then I've got all kinds of things. And I think my resilience, because I'm constantly firefighting and it's easy when I'm in my own office to focus on my work, not so much my leading other people. Right. So now my own capacity is going down. Let's talk a little bit about the resilience of people, the resilience of leaders. And how that turns into difficult colleagues, bosses, and bullying.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the picture you just painted there, Denise, is so accurate for the time. And when we're running lean, and when there's so many unknowns, Mm -hmm. where am I going to focus? It's going to be on the numbers. Yeah. Right. Because that's the one thing I feel like I know how to understand. Okay. Whether I like them or not, whether they're coming up or down or flat. And so I'm wondering whether there's an absence of vision for a lot of leaders right now. They don't know where they're going. Yeah, because it's uncertain. So they can't communicate that particularly, Mm -hmm. which in itself
1: is something that should be communicated. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think. Oh, wait a minute. You mean, I mean, let's slow down a minute because I don't want people to get over that one. This is a tweetable moment, folks. We really have a leadership model in the U.S. that says you're the captain of the ship. You're supposed to know where we're headed. You know, we don't really like Columbus who got lost. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We want MacArthur who knew or acted like he knew. (laughs) What do you mean they have to say they don't know? How do you do that? Well, you know, think about it with any change
0: process. Usually there is a vision at the beginning, Mm -hmm. right, of why we're doing this to begin with, Mm -hmm. or we wouldn't have embarked on all this. Mm -hmm. This has been an enforced change. Mm -hmm. People didn't necessarily select it at all. Some people have been able to capitalize on this change, but a lot of people haven't. And so I think there's a difference between communicating, things are changing, Mm -hmm. and we're not sure exactly where they're going to land. And this is what we know now, because you don't want to leave people with this idea that you're in a rudderless ship, Mm -hmm. right? And that we who are making decisions are on it. We're noticing because frankly, your people know things are changing and shifting. Yeah. It's not like they're immune to the news. They can see it. And depending on what their job is, they're looking at numbers too. Yeah. So I think it's reassuring to know we're all in this. We okay. see it. And then I always say, you know, invite in whatever feedback or ideas people have. Because they can come from anywhere in a company. Mm-hmm. Anywhere. Mm -hmm. The people who are actually doing the work often have the best ideas. So, yeah, but for me, I think you and I could probably sing from the same song sheet here about communication. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's hard to over communicate. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we're in this stressful thing. I want to go back to the whole resilience piece, because we talk about resilience. But I don't know that people know, like in their body or in their mind, or I mean, is there a clock that says my resilience is low, like my, you know, gas tank or what? How do I know my resilience is low before I go over the edge, right? I'm on empty and now I'm blowing up. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, resilience
0: is so important. And kind of my definition of resilience is that not that things don't affect you, but that you're able to come back pretty quickly. And so resilience, how do you know if you're getting low? Well, I would say your body starts telling you pretty early on. So you're not sleeping very well. It may be that that you drift into habits that are, you know, aren't good for you. And you usually don't engage in but, but it's because you're not feeling very good. Mm -hmm. So you borrow energy from caffeine or sugar or whatever it is that gives Mm -hmm. you that lift. I think there are tips, you know, that the body's giving you along the way. Mm -hmm. And then there's this thing about, can I even think my way out of a paper bag here? Am Mm -hmm. I just so overwhelmed with either too many thoughts or too much feeling that I'm having trouble concentrating and focusing? So there are things people can do for resilience. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. You have to kind of build it all along it's pretty hard, you know, as you to use your gas tank metaphor, once you burn through all the fuel, it's, you're it's on fumes, uh, right? Yeah, you're on fumes, and, and the car's coughing. <laughs> you know? All you could do is pull safely off to the side. Yeah, you don't want to get to that point. But people do. And I think the thing to remember is that particularly now, it's not just what's going on at work. It's what's going on in people's lives. Mm -hmm. They've got a lot to cope with right now. Yeah, And I really feel for young parents when school's on again, off again, on again, off again, suddenly all the kids have to come home. And, you know, what do you
1: do? Right. Especially if you have to be in an office because we are going back to offices and now suddenly you've got to run from the office or This morning, I've got to figure out what to do because now the daycares or centers are not open for my child and homework, and are they getting a good education, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is an important thing. So uh, it's fascinating that we've run through our time at this point. If you had to think about one thing to leave the audience with, what would it be?
0: I think right now is a time that we we all need to say, and there's lots of hope, (laughs) right? There's lots of hope there that what we're dealing with now is really no different than many things we've dealt with in the past. This specific pandemic is what it is. But, you know, we've all dealt with change. We've dealt with change successfully.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: We've all dealt with difficult people that we don't like. Mm -hmm. And we figured out how to navigate it. Mm -hmm. And there is help out there. I'll Mm -hmm. just put in a pitch for (laughs) getting the book. But also look up advice because it's there. You can find advice. And there's always more that's coming that's going to be great and wonderful and and growth producing. So on a personal level, but also in a business level, even though businesses may morph and change, but we're not done. It's not a fixed period of time. It's going to be getting better and better. Yeah, but it's always going to be changing. It's always
1: going to be changing. What's that old, you know, saw the only constant is change. Yeah. And And we have to learn to embrace that, which is interesting. And I think the other thing I would say is, is that the days in which we look to our company to give us tuition reimbursement and then go to school and read a book are not successful anymore. I mean, there are some things that you do have to go to school to get the basics on. But when it comes to this work of leadership, and managing you know, the personalities or the behaviors of people in the workplace, this is a learn it on the job and you need someone to help you guide through that. So often I get people who you know, come to me and say, and I'm sure you do, I don't know of a coach that doesn't, and they say, well, you know what, can this be applied to my tuition reimbursement? I find it very interesting that people will spend $40,000 to get an MBA, but they won't spend the money to learn how to be a better leader when that is going to actually propel your career faster than anything that you're going to learn as an MBA. And I'm not saying an MBA is not valuable. I've got one for one of the best schools watching in university, but that's not the point. The point is, is that learning and applying knowledge are two different things. And I think it's important that people realize that.
0: Yeah, no, you're right on about that. I, I taught a communications class in an MBA program and, you know, they were all excited about macroeconomics. And I said, When you're a CEO, you can hire somebody, can do macroeconomics. You're the one who has to communicate with your people. And you
1: have to say it in a way that's at a third or fourth grade level. Well, in a way that enlists
0: people to want to to work for the common good of the organization.
1: It's breaking down complex ideas into tidbits that people can grab, right? And be inspired about. Exactly. Because people have free
0: will they can put their body there, but that doesn't mean that they're going to use their discretionary effort to
1: work hard at a job. And of course, we're in the middle of the great resignation, right? So people are choosing where they go because it's an employee market, not an employer's market as we've had for the last 10 or 12 years. Louise, I cannot thank you so much for this conversation. And I am absolutely sure that somebody took a nugget away. And so you know what I'm going to say. If you heard this, you liked it, share it. If you didn't like what we talked about, share it because I guarantee that it will start a conversation and you will learn something that will help you close the gap. With that, I want you to know that you can get Louise's book on Amazon. It's called Work Jerks, How to Cope with Difficult Bosses and Colleagues or Bullying in the Workplace. And as you know, in the show notes, you'll be able to connect with Louise at any time, and I encourage you to have a conversation with her. She's not only delightfully brilliant about what to do when you have someone who's difficult, but she's also just a wealth of knowledge around communication and being a better leader and interpersonal success, both personally as well as professionally. And with that, talk to you next week. See ya! That's a wrap, and I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.